Good morning and uh, welcome to Bachelor Creek. Uh, I'm excited to share with you today the number one reason why people don't get to know their neighbors. A friend of mine recently introduced me to a national poll that asked Americans the number one reason why they did or did not do certain things. And so today I thought we'd talk a little bit about the number one reason why people don't get to know their neighbors. But before we do that, I thought it would be good to talk about some other number ones that they found in that poll. So let's start with this. What's the number one reason why people in America get married? What's the number one reason why people in America get married? Little drum roll. Uh, America has spoken. The number one reason why people in America don't get married is because, or the reason that people do get married, is a sense of permanence. Isn't that nice? A a sense of, of permanence. Uh, What about the number one reason why people are nice to one another? I think America had a a great answer for this, just like the last one. The number one reason Americans say that they're nice to one another is because it's contagious. Isn't that great? Like, if you get nothing else out of today, write that down. Be nice because it's contagious. Well, on this next one, I think America got a little more honest. Let's talk about the number one reason why Americans go to the gym. Okay, America has spoken. The number one reason why Americans go to the gym is to look hot. There it is. Everybody's being a little more honest on that one. How about the number one reason why people don't get to know their neighbors? Number one reason why people don't get to know their neighbors, this surprised me. It's what makes us different. It's a fear of differences, a fear of what makes us different. And research backs this up. Uh, A Pew Research Group came out with a study where they found that only 57% of Americans know their neighbors by name. It's a little sad. And only 31% of us have ever had a meaningful conversation with a neighbor. And the reasons include we're too shy, we're too busy, and topping the list once again, we're too different. Can we just be honest today? It can be really hard to relate to someone who's different than you. They have different skin color, different background, different politics, a a different set of beliefs. It can be really hard to get to know somebody who seems so different. But in the story that I want us to look at today in John chapter 4, I want to show you something that we all have in common. If you're taking notes, you'll see it as three universal longings, three universal longings that all of us have in common deep within our soul. So I'm excited to share this story with you. It's a very familiar story for a lot of us. It's in John chapter 4. It's about Jesus' interaction with somebody who was very different from him. We're going to begin reading together in verse 3. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? John chapter 4, beginning in verse 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. 
How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So the text begins in verse 3. He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Well, truth be told, he didn't have to go through Samaria. You see, most Jews back then would have actually done everything in their power to avoid Samaria. See, if you were going from Judea to Galilee back then, there were actually two different ways to get there. One was the direct route that went right through the heart of Samaria. It was called the Samaritan route. The other was the Jewish road that went around Samaria. We could call this the scenic route. The Samaritan road was about 70 to 75 miles long from Judea to Galilee. The Jewish road was about 130 miles. So Jews would literally travel twice the distance from Judea to Galilee just to avoid Samaria, to go around Samaria. Why? Well, if you were here last week, you probably remember that we talked about the deep racial tensions that existed between Jews and Samaritans. I said it last week, I'll say it again. Some of us think that, that racism is something that's 200 or, or 250 years old, but the truth of the matter is it dates back way before even Jesus arrived on the scene. These are tensions, these are issues that our world has been dealing with for so long. In the eyes of the Jews, Samaritans were like half-breeds. And I won't go into all the circumstances and, and all the reasons why that came about, but there was such tension among the groups that, joy, that Jews would do anything to avoid them. Jews wouldn't do business with Samaritans. Jews wouldn't let their kids go to school with Samaritans. Jews wouldn't even go through villages where Samaritans lived. And this, this was like the other side of the tracks. And so sometimes it was it was better for them to, to go around Samaria than it was through Samaria. Yet in the Scripture, we, we read that Jesus had to go through Samaria. But listen, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria. Because what it looks like to follow Jesus sometimes means addressing what we would otherwise be avoiding. And I just wonder if someone needs to hear that today. You've been avoiding something. Maybe you've been avoiding someone. And Jesus marches us right into the heart of Samaritan territory. This text continues in verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, I can't help but wonder if the disciples went to find a Chick-fil-A because of their hunger, or was it perhaps because of their hatred? Was it because they actually had an appetite for food, or was it because they had discrimination for the Samaritans? One way or another, the disciples leave. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Of course, Jesus isn't talking about literal physical thirst here, is he? No, of course not. He's talking about the way our souls thirst universally. There's like a a Webster's Dictionary definition of thirst where a physical thirst where, where you're parched, but then there's like an urban dictionary definition of being thirsty. Like if you say that, that someone's thirsty, you're saying like, man, they're desperate. Like emotionally and physiologically speaking, they're, they're, they're reaching for things that perhaps aren't healthy for them. So let's talk about the society in the ancient Near East where Jesus lived. When you were going to a well, there were certain things that you needed to know, right? One of the things you needed to know if you went to a well, you needed to know that it was BYOB, okay? Bring your own bucket. And bucket choice was was very important, okay? Follow me now. Because some buckets were made out of wood, others from animal skins. Some buckets were heavy, others were light. Some buckets were, were, were made in such a way that the water was kept pure, and others were made from, from a material that had the potential to allow the water to get polluted and, and contaminated. And keep in mind, when, when you came to the well, it could be a mile or more walk just to get to the well, and so you wanted to make sure that, that your bucket choice was just the right bucket for you and your family. And I think bucket choice is just as important today. We are all thirsty. We all choose buckets to drink from day in and day out, don't we? Some people drink from the bucket of social media. That They hope that it will give them a a sense of affirmation. Some people drink from the bucket of relationships, hoping that it will give them a sense of acceptance. Some people drink from the bucket of work, hoping that it will give them a, a sense of success. And and this manifests itself in a number of different ways, doesn't it? But the point is, all of us get thirsty. And all of us choose from a variety of buckets to drink from to, to quench our thirst. And how many of you know, just as I do, that many of the buckets that we choose to drink out of are heavy, and they leak, and they're polluted, and they don't actually quench the thirst deep within us? Why is the woman at the well? Well, she's thirsty. But perhaps she's not just physically thirsty. Perhaps there's more going on within her spirit than we're told. And perhaps the same is true for your neighbors. Why don't we get to know our neighbors? Number one reason, because they're different from us. And it's hard to bring ourselves to get to know somebody who's different. But what if they're actually not that different after all? What what if we all get thirsty? What if there are things that we all actually have in common? Would that make us, would that compel us to to draw towards our neighbors a little bit more than we have before? Today I want to reach into this text in John 4 and I want to quickly share three universal longings that everybody thirsts for. Three universal longings of the human spirit. The first is this. I believe that everybody thirsts for friendship. 
Everybody thirsts for friendship. Wells, back in the day, were social gathering places, right? So, so people would time their trips to the well just so they could meet up with other people, make friends, and perhaps even develop a romantic relationships. The well was a great place for this, and when people came to the well, it wasn't just to get water, it was to make friends. Historians tell us that, that most people would go to the well in, in the morning or in the evening in the cool of the day. But, but this woman goes at noon. She goes in the middle of the day when, when it's the hottest, when the sun is beating down on her. Why, why does she go then? Maybe it's not necessarily that she's thirsty for friendships. Maybe it's the friendships that she's had, the, the people that she's socialized with leading up to this point haven't been healthy for her. That They've been toxic. And perhaps she feels a little bit like damaged goods because of these relationships. So it's not that she's thirsty for friendship. Perhaps she's just thirsty for a different kind of friendship. Why does Jesus come to the well? We're told in the story that he asked the woman for a drink, so obviously he has physical thirst, but we also find out that Jesus doesn't bring a bucket. If you continue reading in the story, you find out that the woman says to him, okay, why are you even here? Like, you didn't even bring a bucket. This well is extremely deep. Like, what are you hoping to get out of this? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. Why doesn't Jesus have a bucket? Maybe it's perhaps he's not just thirsty for water. Perhaps he's also thirsty for friendship. How many of you know that when Jesus shows up in your life, he shows up for the very same reason? He simply wants a relationship with you. Jesus doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. He wants to be friends with you because Jesus understands what we sometimes forget, and that's everybody is thirsty for friendship. Here's the question. What are the wells in your neighborhood? Where are the places where people gather for friendship? Perhaps it's a coffee shop like Modoc's or a restaurant. Maybe it's the going to get your mail. Maybe it's, it's City Park. Maybe it's the YMCA where, where people go to look fit. Where is it? Where, where's the well? Did you know that for centuries, churches were wells? Historically, churches were known as the third place. You had home, you had work, and you had the church. A church was a social gathering place. It was where people in the community would go to, to make friends. It was the third place. What would it look like for the church to become a modern-day Samaritan's well? I also want you to consider, what's it look like to build or bring wells to your neighborhood? Last winter, Tyler Leland, our elementary minister, had this crazy idea. He wanted to build an ice skating rink in his backyard. And this, this idea, this imagination became reality. And this thing was big. It took almost his, his whole backyard. But, but the idea wasn't just to create a, an ice skating rink so that he and his family could enjoy it. The, the purpose was so that people and families and kids in the neighborhood could come and, and they could spend time together and be a great way throughout the winter to build relationships with others. You know what's interesting about 
Halloween is it's, it's the one holiday, the one American holiday, where people are actually encouraged to go out and be with their neighbors, to actually interact with people that you would never, ever probably interact with. And so this past Halloween, uh, Taylor McFarland, our, our women's minister, she had this idea, we're not going to hand out candy to kids, but, but we're going to grill hot dogs, and we're going to give out hot dogs to, to kids and, and to adults. So you know, a lot of these people who are running home from work and taking their kids out trick-or-treating, they probably didn't get a chance to eat, and this is a way that we can give them some food. But oftentimes, as kids are trick-or-treating, the parents kind of stay out in the street, the kids run up to the door. This is a way that you actually get the parents to come up to the door, and now, now you're interacting. So Taylor had this idea, and she kind of explained it to her husband, Ben, and Ben doesn't need an excuse to, to start the grill. Like, Ben's a grill master, and so he's up there just, just cooking hot dogs, and what they realized is that grilling hot dogs are a great way to meet friends. Well, what were they doing? They were building a well in their neighborhood because they understood, just as Jesus did, that everybody thirsts. For friendship. Church, can I challenge you for a moment? God has called you to be light in our community, to be a leader in our neighborhoods. What could you do to lead well, knowing that there are people who are desperate, thirsty for friendship? What could you do to, to build or bring people to a modern day well where they can build healthy, meaningful, and lasting relationships? Because what I've learned is that when Christians do this well, when Jesus' followers do this well, it begins by bringing neighbors into friendship with us, but it ends with them being brought into friendship with Jesus. So I want to challenge you. You don't have to build an ice skating rink in your backyard, but what can you do to start building a bridge? Because people are thirsty for friendship. Here's the second universal longing that I believe all of us have in common. Number two, everybody thirsts for compassion. Everybody, regardless of their upbringing, their skin color, their neighborhood, whatever, everybody thirsts for compassion. In fact, many of you are here today and you're walking with Jesus because somebody showed you compassion. Somebody quenched that thirst deep within you and you wanted to know about the Jesus that showed them compassion. Everybody thirsts for it. We find in the course of this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman that this woman at the well is, how should I put it? She's a, she's a desperate housewife, okay? She's been through five failed marriages. How many five? And the man that she's currently with is her live-in boyfriend. And most Jewish men, when, when they would learn about this kind of situation, they would have responded very differently than Jesus. You see, in the eyes of the Jews, Samaritans didn't just have a skin problem, they had a sin problem. They were morally depraved. They were adulterous. They were dead. They were broken. They were too far gone. So most Jewish men, when they discovered the facts about a woman like this, you know, a woman who had five husbands, the man that she's with is, is her live-in boyfriend, they would have responded with condemnation. But what does Jesus do? Jesus responds with compassion. Well, that's interesting because condemnation and compassion are very different from one another. You see, condemnation only focuses on the past, whereas compassion looks at our future. 
Condemnation leads with guilt, whereas compassion leads with grace. Condemnation sees the problem, whereas compassion sees the person. And all of us are thirsty for compassion. Jesus knew this, and he responded very differently than the Jewish men would have at the time. You see, I believe that it was her literal, physical thirst that brought her to the well, but it was her spiritual thirst who kept her there. And if Jesus, in this moment, if he would have unleashed condemnation and shame and guilt, then chances are this conversation with this woman would have never continued, and he would have never had a chance to introduce her to salvation. But he responds with compassion, and she stays there talking with him. Listen, the bottom line is this. You and I, at some point or another, have been the Samaritan woman at the well, haven't we? At some point or another in our lives, we've been the ones sitting there thinking to ourselves, if they really knew what I had done, if only they knew who I really was, if they had any idea what goes through my mind day in and day out, if they only knew the the lust of my heart, then they wouldn't really want to be my friend. They, They wouldn't really want me in church then they wouldn't really think that I was worthy of Jesus. And maybe you feel that way today. Can I just tell you that we do not have a Jesus who condemns you for what you have done, where you have been, or where you've gone. We have a Jesus who responds with grace and compassion, and he sits with you at the well. How good is our Jesus? But if Jesus has lavished compassion upon us, then we have an obligation to be compassionate to others. And why wouldn't we, since everyone everywhere is thirsty for compassion? Can I give you one more? Number three, everybody thirsts for purpose. Everybody thirsts for purpose. Everybody wants to know, well, what's the meaning of all of this? How is all of this relevant to me, and and where do I fit in in this? In the course of this conversation, once all this woman's sin comes to the surface, she does what a lot of people do. She changes the subject. She's like, we're going to talk about religion, okay? She's like, you you seem like a prophet. We're going to talk religion. And so she starts talking about all the different ways that that their religions are, are different. And she's like, some of us, us Samaritans, we worship on this mountain, but you Jews, you think it's all about Jerusalem. And it's true that their practices and their preferences were different, But watch this. Their purpose was very much the same. They were really after the question, what's this really all about? Why are we here and and who can make sense of this? They really ultimately wanted to know, what is the purpose? They were thirsty, as we all are, for purpose. Several years ago, I was teaching an elective class on apologetics about defending our faith and and how we can know Christianity is true. And uh, there was a a woman uh, who came to this class, a mother, who brought her uh, agnostic, skeptical college-age son to to sit in on this. And I could tell as I was teaching that he just wasn't having it. And so as I finished the presentation, I asked if anybody had questions, and his hand shot up. And and he said, you know, listen, I'm not a Jesus follower. I wouldn't call myself a Christian, but I am spiritual, 
I'm religious. Has anybody ever told you that before? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, I think that all religions have threads of truth. I think all religions are, are ultimately after the same thing. And, and so basically he was trying to get me to believe that all paths lead to God and that, that all religions lead to truth. And he said, have you ever heard of the analogy of the three blind men and the elephant? I said, enlighten me. So he said, well, once upon a time there were three blind men and they had heard of an elephant before, but they had never seen an elephant. They knew that an elephant existed, but, but, but they've never interacted with one. They, they've never seen one. So the first blind man walks up to the elephant, and he grabs a hold of his tail. And as he grabs the tail, he goes, guys, I, I think an elephant is like a paintbrush. They go, oh, okay, fair enough. The, the second blind man walks up, and and he puts his, he grabs the, the leg of the elephant. He wraps his arm around the elephant. He goes, no, guys, guys, uh, I think an elephant is like a tree trunk. They go, oh, okay, okay. The, the third blind man, he goes to the trunk, and he grabs a hold of the, the trunk of the elephant. He's swinging the trunk around, and it's spraying water, and he goes, no, 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 guys, the elephant is like a fire hose. And so he goes, do you see the point in the story? All of these blind guys are doing the best they can to understand an elephant with their limited knowledge and limited understanding and blindness that keeps them from fully understanding the elephant. I said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, a, really, that's a really good story. But, but let me ask you this. What if a fourth guy walked in the room, and what if that guy could see? What if he wasn't limited by blindness? And, and what if he understood an elephant, not like in the sense of just visually, but, but how to actually interact with it? And then he was able to explain to the other three blind men, and he helped them interact with an elephant as an elephant should be interacted with. I said, if you were one of the, the three blind guys, would you trust the fourth guy? Would you trust the, the fourth man who wasn't blind? And he goes, well, yeah, of course. I said, good, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. The woman at the well says, we have all these differences. We can't fully understand how or what we're worshiping. We have this thirst for purpose, but we can't make sense of it. But someday, this Messiah that I've heard about, he'll come and he'll explain it all. He'll clear it all up. And Jesus looks at her right in the eye and he says, woman, I'm standing right here. I am he. I am the one who can see. I am the, the fourth one, and I can make sense. I'm the only one who can make sense of this seemingly meaningless existence. And can I just tell you today that there is a Jesus who can see, and he can help you see, just as he helped the Samaritan woman to see, that all of creation was created with purpose, on purpose, and for a purpose, and that purpose's name is Jesus. Everybody gets thirsty. I just wonder if maybe we understood that our neighbors aren't so different from us, that maybe we would draw a little closer to them just as Jesus did at the well. See, it was their differences that sent the disciples packing, but it was their similarities that kept Jesus there. So can I just ask you as, as we wrap up today, are, are you thirsty today? Are you thirsty? Is your soul parched in some way? 
Have you tried drinking from buckets that, that have not quenched? Buckets that, that have not left you satisfied. And you wonder if there's anyone, anything, anywhere that can quench the thirst deep within you that you seldom understand. C.S. Lewis once said it this way. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Only Jesus is the living water who can quench the thirst that you so desperately need. Why didn't Jesus have a bucket? Because Jesus was the bucket. Jesus is friendship. Jesus is compassion. He's everything else that we thirst for, and not just for us, but for our neighbors too. And if you're thirsty today, you just need to know that there is a God who loves you and who is able to quench that thirst. I want to invite you into a relationship with him just as he invited the Samaritan woman into a friendship with him 2,000 years ago. So in a moment, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray together. But before we do, if you've never entered into a friendship with God, I want to tell you that that's what it's all about. Jesus didn't come to just start some religion. He didn't come to, to start the institutional church. Jesus didn't come to, to help you be better or to, or to make you good. Jesus came to make you alive. He came to set you free. He came to quench the thirst that's deep within your soul, and only Jesus can do it. If you're ready to enter into that relationship today, you can make that decision today. Let's pray. Lord, you are the living water. God, only you can satisfy our deepest needs. God, all the questions in life, all the things that we just struggle to understand, God, they're answered in Jesus. God, help us to realize that, that Jesus gives us friendship. He gives us compassion. He gives us purpose. The big questions in life, everything that we truly long for, is satisfied and fulfilled in Jesus. So God, I pray today, whatever it is that, that we're filling up our buckets with, God, I pray that, that we, would, we would just empty that, that we wouldn't search for, for fulfillment through other relationships or through jobs or through friendships. Or whatever. God, help us to realize that fulfillment and satisfaction only comes in a relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray that not only for us, but I pray that we would begin to see our neighbors through that same eyes, God, that you see them. That we would offer friendship to them. That we would look for ways to, to, to bring wells into our neighborhoods so that we can be good neighbors. God, our, our hope is that we would build friends. But God, ultimately, we want to bring people into friendship with you. God, if there's anybody who needs to make the decision to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of their life, God, would they today make that choice and find their thirst quenched? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.